Let's have a word of prayer and, uh, and then we'll get to work. Father God, we just give you thanks once again. Thank you that, um, thank you for the blessed hope of Jesus. Thank you for the hope of his return. Thank you for all of the other things that you have promised unto us, God. Just amazing promises. Promises that loose our heart to sing. Promises that, when connected with faith and by the grace of your Spirit, unlock an extravagant praise in our lives. And today, God, as we open up your word, we pray that um, worship would just continue. Thank you this morning that the sun has been rising around the earth and with it a wave of joyous believers have been getting together and just extolling you. And this morning, God, we just ask that you would allow us, even as we have been already, to just join in with the chorus of innumerable people that you have redeemed. And in that praise, some even right now are coming to faith in Christ and bowing the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This morning, God, we come worshiping and we ask that you would set the table and give us hungry hearts, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to comprehend what it is that you prepared and fill us to overflowing, we ask. You are the God of hope and in you we trust and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, or this week, we were actually at our home. We were doing uh, devotions, and um, it was actually quite funny. We were at, uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Terry Olson, and we're one of the, direct, one of the youth leaders here at the Alliance Bible Church. Paul's actually out. He's doing some training in, in uh, Colorado, so he got to go there for the conference. And if you were here last week, um, that was a real blessed service. I was incredibly blessed by the service last week and by Paul's message. And um, he had given me some confines previously because he knew, he knew that he was going to be gone. He's like, maybe you can, can pray about thinking about speaking on this a little bit. And then last week, right before the service, he goes, you remember the confines that I gave you uh, before? Those are out the door now. And um, you're going to have to wait and see what happens with the message today. And then you'll go somewhere else. And sure enough, God kind of redirected. And I love that part about him, that he does that sort of stuff. So um, Paul will be back next week. Praise the Lord for that. And we'll be continuing on wherever God leads us. And uh, we have great expectations for what's going to happen next week. And I think all of this, even with, uh, with the, the day of prayer and fasting and healing and all the other things that are going on, it's an exciting time. So we were having a small group, actually, and it was really kind of funny because we were trying to do this Devo which was pretty, it was like an encouraging devotion. But Aiden kept interrupting because he wanted to talk about Jesus, you know. So he would like come into the middle of the group and he would be like, Jesus falls down onto the rocks. And we never understood like what the rocks were, you know. But anyways, there's, you know, you could sanctify your imagination a little bit and say that. But the devotion was actually on imagination. And it had to do with um, how sometimes in our lives, especially today, we have, we have been greatly blessed, amen? I mean, we're, we live in a country that's incredibly blessed, and, and there's all, all kinds of things that are going on. And, but some things, actually, that we have, and our generation is not new to this. There might be some new toys around, but it's not new to this temptation. Some things have a way of shrinking up our imagination. They actually um, atrophy, you know? Like, uh, if, you, if you exercise at all, you know, you work out your muscles and stuff, 
And if you stop working out, your muscles, they begin to atrophy, they begin to weaken, and you can't lift as much as you did previously. And I think, like, our imagination is like that. And, I, and that we need to have uh, things that expand our minds. Things that, and some of the things that actually uh, have a tendency of shriveling up imagination really are technology, actually, believe it or not. You know, we sit in front of the TV... And, and we just take it in, we drink it in for hours and hours, or we sit on the internet and we sit on there for hours and hours or in front of our computer or uh, on our cell phones, you know. And, and God has given human beings the capacity to take in an incredible amount of information, an incredible amount of information. But sometimes, actually, we end up drinking at pools that are really shallow, and God wants us to actually drink at a pool that's much larger and uh, to have a sanctified imagination and that, that's actually what I'm going to be speaking on today, actually. I want to continue on in Romans 15. Specifically, last week, you know, he saw, Paul summarized his sermon last week on Romans 15, 13. And that's actually going to be the key verse. So if you want to open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 15, we're going, to, we're going to be there in just a few minutes. But Romans 15, 19, or 15, 13. Um, I titled the message today, God of Hope, God of Joy, God of Peace. Because that's exactly what Romans 15, 13 actually says that he is. The God of hope, the God of joy, and the God of peace. In 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter actually, we actually, when we have Christian weddings, we read from that chapter a lot. You know the chapter I'm talking about? The love chapter. Love is patient. Love is good. Love is kind. Love is gentle. And it lists all these things that love is. Well, at the end of that chapter, it actually lists three things that actually could, should characterize the life of the Christian. Do you guys remember what those things are? Faith, hope, and love. And at the end of it, he says, but the greatest of these things is love. And the reason why he says the greatest of these things is love is because eventually, faith will become sight. And eventually, hope will actually no longer be necessary because the vehicle, the things of which that we are hoping for, will be reality. No longer will we sing songs like, at the end of the age, at the climax of history, Jesus will come. We will be there. We will meet Him in the air and we will be like, it has come. And glory to God. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The King has come and here He is right in front of us and hope will be made reality. So the greatest of the things is love and He defines what that is. Well, here's a, here's a couple of definitions for hope. Here's the verb definition. To cherish a desire with anticipation. To cherish something. To desire something with anticipation. Okay? To desire it with expectation of obtaining it. We're desiring it something with an ex- expectation. We're hoping that we're going to get it. That's what hope is. The noun is a desire accompanied by expectation or belief in fulfillment. To trust in, to rely upon something. The book of Romans is no stranger to the topic of hope at all. It isn't. There's 76 verses in the Bible, in the New Testament, that actually reference the topic of hope. The Bible is filled with the topics, and that's not even in the Old Testament at all. And I'll actually share a couple verses there. But it's just filled with this idea of hope. Twelve out of the 76 verses in the New Testament actually occur in the book of Romans. And you can look them up, you know. I've said this before, but if you have a computer, the reason why you have that computer should be to study the Bible. If you invested the money in buying the computer, invest the money in getting a good piece of Bible software so that you can study the Scriptures and be encouraged by what's in the Bible. I think that's why God gave us uh, technology. There's some other reasons too, but primarily so that we might know Him, amen? So that we might come to know Him. Romans actually starts off by talking about how Abraham had hope. In fact, he had hope against hope 
that God was going to fulfill a promise that he made that said, from you, I am going to create an incredible nation. From you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't even have a son. Eliezer, like my servant, is going to inherit everything. Oh no, you're going to have a son. But I'm old. Don't we have those conversations with God a lot? We're like, what are you talking about? And he just comes back with it again. So hope against hope, he believed that he, he would become the father of many nations. And look, at he didn't get it the first time either. You know what I'm talking about? When Sarah and Hagar and that whole thing and the crazy mess that it's made, even today, there's a huge mess because of that. Because like God promised and, oh, I misinterpreted what the promise was and they tried to go a different route. But sure enough, Isaac was born, the seed of promise, and from him, Jacob, and from Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel, and from the line of Judah, Jesus, here he comes, and then, boom, he opens up the promise, not just to the descendants, physical descendants, to be children of Abraham, but even spiritual descendants, so that we can be singing just like the kid's song, you know, Father Abraham. He is my father, in many different ways, primarily in faith, but also in hope and in some other things as well. The Bible, in, in the book of Romans, talks about... Um, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We exult in the glory of God and in the hope of the glory of God, in the gospel that he has actually made. In the book of Romans chapter 8, which is just an incredible chapter, it's worthy to be memorized, to be armed with it, to, to, to soak it in, to think about it, to, to uh, share it with other people. But in the book of Romans, chapter 8, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul begins to talk about hope again, and he says this, For we know that the whole creation right now has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? When Eve actually took the fruit and then ate it, and the whole thing went down, and God, you know, part of the curse was that now you're going to have pain in childbirth. And women, for, from the beginning of time, since Eve actually have known pain in childbirth. And here we have, and he's, he's saying that is a metaphorical example. If you have had children, we have doctors, we have people who study their entire life just to work with the idea of pregnancy and with childbirth. That's what they're dedicated to. There's whole wards dedicated to the medical practice of babies coming into the world because of the curse that came on to Eve. And here you have an example saying, yes, you know what this is like. Yes, you can feel it. You can taste it. You know that it's hard. You know that it's not an easy situation. But when a child is born into the world, it's also a very glorious thing. It's a difficult thing, but it's a glorious thing. Now that you see that as a, as a sanctified metaphor, know that the whole world is in the pains of childbirth right now. And not only the creation, but then he goes, but we ourselves. We ourselves have tasted. We ourselves have taken the fruit up. We have the first fruits of the Spirit of God. When Jesus was raised and he ascended to his Father on high, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and he came. And it says now that when someone believes, they are sealed with the Spirit of promise. And the Spirit comes to dwell inside the believer forever and ever. A comforter, the one who illumines the truth, and we'll get more into that. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly. Do you groan inwardly? You know, are you, are you kind of feeling the pregnancy of the groaning of the fact that we have been um, frustrated to a certain extent of what the Bible is saying, that we are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption of us as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That one day, our weak bodies, and don't get me wrong, we spend a lot of money on bo our bodies, don't we? 
We spend money on health clubs, on medicines, on food. Sometimes we spend money and we try to destroy the body in other ways, but we spend a lot of time. I mean, just turn the TV on. If you look at commercials, a lot of it's going to be focused on this, and yet no one has cured death totally except for Jesus yet now, and it's, go- it's coming in the future, actually. But we tend to degrade. We just degrade. And we have in ourselves this first fruit of the Spirit, the longing to have our bodies redeemed, to be redeemed. That is a hope. That is a hope. And then he goes on, he says this, for in this hope we are saved. What hope? The hope that Christ is going to return, and when he returns, he is going to deliver us. He is going to bring the fullness of salvation. See, we have tasted in part, and don't get me wrong, the part that we've tasted already is so big, it's so great, it's so incredible that we're singing songs about it. We get together, we shout about it from the rooftops. If you've tasted it and you know, you, you, they write operas about this, about Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Even, even non-believers sometimes give glory to God and they don't even realize that they're doing it. Now, in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. If we know it in reality, if I were, if I were uh, able to come over and I, and I could see Jim in his redeemed body, if I could see it for now, it would no longer be. I'm hoping for the redemption that is Christ and that, that Jim would receive his glorified body. But it's not seen yet. But it will happen. It will happen. Now, hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's part of the hope. Part of the hope is we have to wait. That's a frustrating thing. I've said this before, too, but praying for patience and stuff, and sometimes, like, you're not even praying for it. I try and avoid praying for patience. I'll be honest with you. Like, he, he, and, and sometimes I think I get even caught up in that, you know what I'm saying? Because when you're trying to avoid it, you know it's coming. And he's going, he's going to bring it on you. And, uh, either in the car, you know, where, um, traffic hits and stuff, and, um, or other situations occur, like, you're at the Walmart, and, you know, you look at the fast lane, and there's like tons of people, so you look at another lane, there's only one person, and you're thinking, oh, you know, that's probably going to be faster, so I go over there. All of a sudden, it's like, price check on everything! Like, ah, how does that happen? And you're sitting there thinking, and so that's the, God actually creates some of those situations. There's other forms of, of aspect, expectations as well where God is working in us this fruit of patience and hope and glory. Now, open up to Romans if you haven't already. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We have to be patient waiting for our redeemed bodies. Although I'll be honest with you, I've said more. I wonder how many times I've said, I want mine now. Romans chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 8. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Don't you just love the Scriptures? They are incredible. 
I mean, the Bible is an amazing, amazing book. And I say that like, and we'll get more to this in a minute, as to why I say that the, that the Bible is amazing. But this passage of, of several verses, just enough, like we can meditate on this, and there's a lot of stuff going on in here. There's a lot of things that are happening. There's stuff that we can learn about ourselves. There's stuff that we can learn about God. There's stuff that we can learn about the world and about God's faithfulness and about us and about, about love and joy and peace. And so that's where we're heading. The first point of what, I'm going, what I want to pull out of Romans chapter 15 is this. Number one, God is a God of hope. God is a God of hope. Look at the verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. He defines what hope is. He is, he is hope. And He is the one who brings hope. And I would say, and make a wager, that there is hope in nothing else, especially for us, when it comes to everlasting life. Everything starts with God. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and He is the end of all things. If there is hope and joy and peace, if it is deep and if it is eternal... It, it will be a hope and a joy and a peace that is rooted and grounded in God. That is the only place where that sort of hope that never disappoints comes from. There's a lot of places where we put our faith and trust. There is. There's a lot of things that we're hoping for in life. And a lot of those things, sometimes they come through and they bring us momentary happiness. And sometimes they don't. And it's like, ah, I just lost it all. I just lost that. I was expecting this to happen, but it did not happen. And that hope disappoints. But with God, He never disappoints. Any other foundation will fail. And thus, the, we sing songs, like I said before, my hope is built on nothing else except for Christ. My faith has a foundation. It is a firm foundation. Do you have a foundation that you're building upon? Jesus says that we need to build upon something. In fact, He says we're all building something. And when the rains come and when the winds blow and, and the storms come, is the thing that you're building your hope on, is it going to survive in the day of trouble? Or will it be destroyed and you with it? A lot of people are feeling that right now, economically, in our nation. They're feeling it. Because they've been putting their hope in a place that should not be. Not totally, anyways. The songwriter in Psalm 145 and if you want to turn there, you can turn there with me. Psalm, I'm sorry, it's 146. Psalm 146 actually writes about this. This is not a new song. I'm just repeating an old song. A song that has been sung for thousands of years. A song that is being sung this morning around the world. Right now, there's more people. The sun is rising right now. In California, people are just getting together right now. And they're lifting up their voice to God, saying... In you, my hope is found. In you, I will trust. Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will sing praise to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Don't put your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. Listen, that includes government. Hello. Everything. Do not put your hope in those things. Put your hope in God. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On the very day his plans perish. Now verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. This is the God who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, 
who keeps faith forever. He is faithful. That is His name. There's a verse in the New Testament that says His name is faithful, He is faithful, and He cannot deny Himself. In other words, when He makes a promise, He will keep it. If He did not keep it, He would cease to be, at least in the person that He is. And He does not. When He makes a promise, He fulfills it. Thus He says, the God who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord, I love this part, this is all about us. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord, Jehovah God, Yahweh, opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners and upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, He will bring to ruin. Don't get me wrong. Our God is an incredible God of love. He is an incredible God of patience. He is an incredible God of might and of mercy, but there is an end to the mercy. It does end in some places. It's infinite in some areas, but for some who will not bow the knee to Him, they're in for a day of trouble. And it's not good. It's not good. But for us, for those who would come, to as many as have received Him, He gives us the right to become children of God. And we can sing the song. Blessed is the one who has put their hope in God, in Yahweh, in Jehovah God, the one who always keeps His promises and never, never, no, never, ever lies. And He cannot die. No one is like our God. He is no ordinary being. He is the Lord God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is El Elyon, the God Most High. He is Elohim, the Maker of heaven and earth. He is Sovereign over everything. John Piper, in one of his sermons a couple years ago, when he was describing the sovereignty of God, these are his points that he was pulling, that I pulled out of one of his messages. He says that God is sovereign over galaxies and endless reaches of space. Where we have not seen, God is already there. He is already there, unveiling himself. He is supreme over the earth. From the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up, to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down. He is supreme over all plants and animals, from the beautiful, peaceful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses. He is supreme over weather and movements of the earth, over hurricanes, over tornadoes, over monsoons, over earthquakes, over avalanches, over floods, over snow, over rain, over sleet. He is supreme over all chemical processes that heal and that destroy. Cancer, AIDS, malaria, flu, and all the workings of antibiotics and a thousand healing medicines. He is supreme over countries and over all governments and over all armies. He is supreme over Al-Qaeda and all terrorists and kidnappings and suicide bombings and beheadings. He is supreme over all nuclear threats from Iran or Russia or North, North Korea. He is supreme over all politics and over all elections. He is supreme over all media and news and entertainment and sports and leisure. He is supreme over all education and universities and scholarship and science and research. He is supreme over all business and finance and industry and manufacturing and transportation. He is supreme over the internet and all information systems. If you were to amass all of the knowledge that mankind has gotten together for the last 6,000 years and put it into one place, it would be like a, a first grade reader to the knowledge and wisdom of our, of our God. We're not even close. We can't even fathom the level of knowledge that He has. 
We can't even fathom the level of which that He is supreme over all things. This is the God that you can put your hope in. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want any other God. I don't want any other God. I don't want any other false hope that, that's going to disappoint. This is the God that is in control. And sometimes we might not feel that. Sometimes we might not think that that's the case. But He is. He's in control of all things. He has the ability to heal. He has the ability. In, in Ephesians chapter 1 says that Jesus, when He was raised, that He is seated far above all rule, power, and authority in every name that is named. He is sovereign over demonic forces. They have no power under Him. They, they, have, no, they have no way to, to thwart His purposes or to undermine His plans. They cannot do it. He walks into a room and they get scared. I mean, think about it. When He was walking on the earth and He came into a situation where someone was demonized, what happened? They're like, Don't hurt me! Don't hurt me! I know who you are! Are you going to punish me right now? I don't think you're supposed to be punishing me right now because I don't know, but I'm thinking that maybe the time hasn't come yet. And, and if you think about it, what happened? Jesus didn't always cast them into an abyss and lock the key. Sometimes he let them remain on the earth for a time. But their time is coming. And the, and the lake of fire and brimstone has been created for the devil and his angels. And their time is coming and they know that their end is near. They know what's going to happen. He is supreme over all things. He can heal with a touch. He can reform bones when he wants to. He can do whatever it is that his heart's desire is. And his desire is to fulfill the purposes and plans of God. Now, sometimes we get that mixed up with what we want. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we're like, well, God must want what I want. And that's not always the case. I want my body right now. I want my resurrected body right now. I'm still here. I want it right now. You get the point what I'm saying, right? I mean, there's limitations. Not limitations to His sovereignty, but sometimes in our ability to understand. Some things God has reserved for Himself to know and to understand. I don't understand some of the difficult things in life. And I don't have the answer. I'll tell you what, I point to whom I think is the answer. But I don't understand when, ha- when stuff happens like those kids at the retreat this week. That just breaks my heart. This morning, those parents are waking up without them and all they were doing... I mean, I've been at camp. My cabin has snuck out. I had all of my, my, my entire cabin, all of the PKs. You know what I'm talking about? I had the pastor kids and the MKs, the missionary kids, were in my cabin. At the beginning of camp, the, the pastors and the missionaries were like, I'm so glad my kids are in your cabin. They snuck out and they got banned from camp the next year. They got, you know, like, dude, is that my fault? But that happened. But, you know, they were just having fun in Algonquin and now those kids are gone. And those parents this morning are grieving. They are grieving this morning. They are hurting. They need a God of hope. And we need to point them. I don't understand why God allows some of that. I don't understand why He allows some of the terrorism. I don't understand why He allows some of the catastrophic weathers. I don't understand these things. But I know that He is in control. I don't understand why He allows cancer. I don't know why He allows that. But I know that He is sovereign over, over sickness. That He is sovereign over all things that have to do with our bodies. From the top of the universe to the very bottom, He is in control. Even down to the cells of my body, He's holding my tongue together right now as I speak and declare His praise. 
This is our God. And you know what the book of Romans says? He is our Father. That we can approach Him. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says not only can we approach God, we can boldly approach God through what Christ has done. We can, we can boldly come in. He is the God of hope. Number two, in the Scriptures, Jesus is actually called our hope. So hope isn't just something that God gives to people. Hope is who He is. Hope defines... God defines what hope is. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul actually is writing to Timothy, and he's like, Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. In Colossians 1.27, this is something that you and I, we need to know this. We need to have it ingrained in us. We need to have it, like, we need to be immersed in it. We need to be thinking it. We need to use it in combat against the schemes of the devil and against our own flesh and against the world. Colossians 1.27 says this, To us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of a mystery which is Christ in you. And He is the hope of glory. He is the hope of glory. One day we will be like Him. John, the Apostle John, he got to lay on Jesus when they had meals. I mean, my family, they don't lay near me when we eat together. You know, we, eat, we, we have some great meals together, but we don't like sit on the floor or anything like that. We, we actually have some great conversations. Um, usually the topics are cyclic, the same topics over and over, and they're very unique. And um, Jesus usually is in some part of it or another, um, and we're usually laughing about why does he do this or why does he do that or how does he, how does he do this. Uh, we have meals. John actually would lay on and would eat together and he said even he said when Jesus comes like or in, when, when I'm thinking about what I'm going to look like when I'm raised up I'm going to tell you by the Holy Spirit he wrote I don't even know what I'm going to be like all I know is I'm going to be like him for we shall see, see him as he is and we will be like him he is our hope and Titus 2 we already said this Jesus is the second coming is the blessed hope for the Christian and for the world. A righteous kingdom. A new kingdom. A kingdom that will be ruled by a, a man who is God and who is righteous from the very beginning. His throne will be established in justice and righteousness. No one will, will hurt on his holy hill. So hope is not just something that God inspires, but it's who he is. Alright, so now, here's the question. We have this God who's an incredible God. He's the only true God, actually, is what he says about himself. So here's the question. How does the God of hope connect us here on the earth with a life-altering vision that is filled with abounding hope, abounding joy, and abounding peace? How does he do it? And it's the same for every one of us. It's no different. And so we continue to sing the song. So I'm back in Romans chapter 15. Let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 15. Number one, this is how God does it. He speaks promises. Our God is a living God. He's not a stone. He's not a a musical instrument that cannot sing without someone behind it. He is not fake. He's not a figment of imagination. He is very much alive. And so He speaks. And He's been speaking for thousands of years. And He speaks promises. 
And we've already said that he is faithful and he cannot lie. And the promises of which that he makes, he will see through to the very end. Let's check out, in this passage, Romans 15, 8-13. If you take a look at, in your Bible, probably some of these things are kind of off in a phrase where they're quoting Old Testament. And that means that it's a song or poetry. And there's no promises in verse 9, 10, and 11. Just a bunch of praising. A bunch of exaltation. The promise comes in verse 12. So here's the promise in Romans chapter 15, verse 12. Here it is. There's three of them. You see them? God makes promises. Romans 15, 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's promise number one. He's going to come. The root of Jesse. You know who Jesse is? The root of Jesse, David's, David's father. Go on. The root of Jesse is Jesus, the Messiah. He will come. Isaiah wrote it 700 years before to inspire people to hope. The anointed one will come. The Christ will come. The Messiah will come. This is a promise of which that God has made. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentile. So not only will he come, but he's going to rule over everything. Imagine if you were a Jew back then. You're, you know, your hope is, I hope that the king comes pretty soon because we're being oppressed and we want to have a political system set up so that we can have some peace and worship God in peace in our geographical location. And God says, oh yeah, that's going to happen. And not only that, but he's going to arise and he's going to rule the whole world. The whole world will be his. He will rule the entire, all of the Gentiles will be his. Promise number two. Promise number three, in him will the Gentiles place their trust. And when God makes these promises, he doesn't lie. And this is an incredible part. This stuff happened. It happened. 700 years ago, you know, 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote this. It's now been 2,000 years and we're on this side of it. And we can look back and we're like, it happened. The root of Jesse did come. He did arise. And the gospel is going forth to the Gentiles. And today, as the sun has been rising around the earth, praise has been going up. Can you imagine what God looks like? I talked at the beginning about a sanctified imagination. I have a, a new cell phone. It's kind of kind of cool cell phone device. Um, I actually use technology, I try and use technology to further my, um, my spiritual life. I actually think, again, I'm just going to say this straight up, many of you have children, or maybe you own them yourselves, your iPods. Your iPods have been given to you to further your spiritual development. Start podcasting some stuff that's going to expand your vision of how big God is. Use it for the glory of God. Put the Bible on your iPod and listen to it. Put it on there and listen to it. Use your iPod for the glory of God to further the kingdom and the work of Christ in your life. You can use technology for the glory of God. Frequently it's being used the other way around. Every time God gives us something cool, you know, we end up using it in a different way. So, here we have, on my, on my phone, I have this um, Google Earth. Have you guys seen this? Google Earth. It's, it's incredible. You know, you can, uh, the whole earth is like on the phone. Like I could see the earth and I could spin it. I could spin the earth. I can like spin it around. And then I can, I can go like, oh, I, I think I want to look at Israel. So I spin it over to Israel 
and then I put my fingers on it, and I go, and I pinch it, and it zooms in on Israel. I can see planes in the air that were snapshotted by satellite photos. And then I can look at, I can tip the phone, and it, it like, I can, I can push a button, it'll find where I'm at on the earth, and then I can tip the phone, and I can see towards McHenry. It's just really cool. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell the phone. What I'm saying is, is that, it is cool though. What I'm saying is this, although that other, Apple would be really happy with me. Anyway, what I am saying is, not that many years ago, people thought the earth was flat. And I have the whole earth, like pictures of all of the earth on my phone. It's right there. And on top of that, like, I'm thinking when I look at this sanctified imagination, how many people are in this area of the earth that need Christ right now? That need Him? Let the Son of Righteousness rise. Let them know the promises of God. Send missionaries to these places so that the the orphans and the widows and the downtrodden and those that are beaten down by economic systems or unrighteous rulers can hear the gospel and believe and have a hope that does not disappoint. A life that is everlasting, that will never fade away, that is filled with glory. That is filled with glory. Maybe not here, but the promises are sure. And this is temporal. That is going to last forever. Forever. Use your technology for the glory of God. So here's the problem. Number one, God, the God of hope speaks promises. Hope, joy, and peace in verse 13 are rooted in this passage in the amazing promises of a sovereign God who never lies. Number two, the next thing that happens to, to open up our lives to this level of hope is the Holy Spirit. You see this in, in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13 again where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. So the Spirit of power takes the promises of God and illumines these promises to our hearts so that we can comprehend them. Hope that inspires and fills a person with joy and peace and is based on God's promises is not the product of a human choice. It's not the product of human choice. It is the product of a very living and unseen spirit that takes the promises of God in the life of a human being and connects them together. And the end result is the fruit of it is faith and hope and and life and praise and a whole bunch of other things. This is not a magic formula. It's not a recipe. It's not a multi-step process that will lead to some form of self-generated hope. It's not like I can go into my house and lock myself up and say, God, I want you to give me my resurrected body. I want you to give me my glorified body. I want you to give me my glorified body. I want you to give me my glorified body. And if I say it 653,000 times, God is going to be like, oh, look, he made it to the end. I can't believe he made it there. Oh, the magic button has now been pushed, and so now I'm going to give him his glorified body. That's not it. It's not self-made. It's not something that you can create. It's not something that I can just like, mm, I'm going to force it into existence. I'm going to put forth all of my effort, all of my emotional and intellectual effort into studying so that I can change my attitude. No, this hope that inspires, this joy that comes, this peace that comes, is something that God the Holy Spirit actually brings to life by breathing the breath of life. God took mud and put it together. And it was on the earth. And he went up to it and he breathed into it the, the breath of life, and he became a living being. 
That is exactly what God does today. Exactly the same creative work. If you want hope that is eternal, that is lasting, joy that is eternal, that is lasting, peace that is eternal, that is lasting, it is not something that you get from some sort of creative ability inside of yourself. Now, isn't that awesome? Because some of us are too weak to create it anyways. Now, here's the, the pride issue. The, the knowledge of good and evil has people believing that you can. And our world is filled with philosophies like that. And that's a bunch of, that's a bunch of lies. Hope comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you hope in Christ today and not in money, if your hope today is in Christ and not in your current health, or the weakness of your body, if your hope today is in Christ and not in your friends, if your hope today is in Christ and not in the government, that hope is the work of the Holy Spirit and the eternal God is at work within you. He's connecting with you. And you're connecting with Him. The unseen God is being made known to you in your heart in very real reality, in very real ways. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Divine Conquest, I love that book. Because it's, it's like... It talks, it talks about, he just unfolds the scriptures in such a way that he's like, God is in the process of conquering people. That's what he's doing. He's conquering people. And I love that because he came and conquered me. And I tell you what, I put up a big stinking fight. I did. I put up a fight about it. But in the end, when you give yourself over to him, you find you're like, why did I do that? This is incredible. And I'm only in the beginning. I'm just in the beginning. He said about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, A.W. Tozer, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life and light. In his uncreated nature, he is a boundless sea of fire, flowing, moving ever, performing as he moves the eternal purposes of God. Toward nature, he performs one sort of work. Towards the world, he performs another sort of work. And towards the church, he performs still another work. And every act of his is in accordance with the will of the triune God. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that meets with us when we're gathered together, like in meetings like now, or in your small group meetings during the week. This is the God that you meet with in your prayer closet. This is the God that meets with you when you open up this book. The Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. One chapter back in Romans, chapter 14, verse 17, Paul actually wrote by the Spirit, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about parties only, but there's going to be parties. Maybe not like the way that the world parties, much, 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 much better parties. But there are going to be celebrations like the earth has never seen. The celebration is going to be thunderous. The whole earth will shake when Jesus returns. It's going to be incredible. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. He is the one that illumines the promises of God to our hearts. God makes promises. The Holy Spirit illumines them. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to hope, joy, and peace. Romans 15, 13 again. You see it there, don't you? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, what? In believing. In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. This is exactly where sometimes um, we have challenges and where our hope sometimes 
can actually diminish. And look, I'm not talking about Dr. Phil, you know, you just don't believe. You've got to put forth some more effort. I just broke that down, didn't I? I just said that that was a big lie. What I am saying is sometimes we, we don't have enough of this book, the promises. Early on, early on, um, I think with visual pictures, and sometimes God helps me with that. I wouldn't call them visions, but I think he gives me visual pictures. Sanctified imagination to kind of think through the spiritual walk, this journey that I'm on. Hopefully you guys have that connection with him too. And uh, I, I was thinking about this book and about um, how it's been made alive. At one time it wasn't alive to me, but now it is. And um, I kind of think of this, at least for the Christian my picture, or the picture that God sort of gave me, was that it's kind of like a, a, a creek, a big creek. A creek that's big enough for everyone in the whole world, though, to come and, and, and wade in. It's not scary, but it is interesting. And in the creek, which is not too deep to wade in, it's moving, it's flowing, is all kinds of gold, jewels, and precious stones. And God gives us the sister, right? And the sifter, we take it and we walk into the creek and we dip down into the water. We get a little wet. We get a little sweaty from working a little bit, but we pick it back up and it's got a bunch of dirt and some other stuff. And we start shaking it a little bit and all of the silt goes away. And what we have left is incredible promises. Incredible promises. Now, here's the sad part. I can't give you mine. I can't give them to you. I can, I can go to the river, and you can go to the river, and we can be there, and, and I can go in there, and a lot of Christians are just kind of standing on the sideline, you know, they're like, oh yeah, the Bears and the Packers are playing today. Oh, you get the idea of what I'm getting at. You know what I'm saying. I'm going to watch the game. Praise the Lord. But we, uh, we, uh, we get the idea that we need, there is a part of us where God just doesn't give it to us totally. He is the engine. He is the spirit of grace. But the promises need to be mine. That's why we have verses like 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, Be diligent and show yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You need to get the book out and connect with the promises of God. You need to personally hear the promises of God. Personally mind them. Pull them up out of the Scriptures and let the Holy Spirit take them from black and white on the page and make them alive for you. Jesus will return. You will receive a new body. You have been forgiven. And Satan has no ground in your life whatsoever. We need to be able to battle. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to hope, joy, and peace. Faith and trust in God opens up a sanctified imagination. I'm going to call it my sanctified imagination, I think the Bible calls it the mind of Christ. He has given us the mind of Christ to see the world with a different light. I'm telling you, when I bring up Google Earth and I look at it, I look at that planet differently than my non-believer that, that works with me at the desk next to me. You know what I'm talking about? They look at it totally differently than I do. They look at it totally differently. Sanctified imagination, the mind of Christ. His word sets the framework, but the vista of his beauty is unending. Do you love art? I think God inspires art. I think he is art in definition. And, and when we see the promises of God and the Holy Spirit comes and connects them together and, and you're in the Word of God and you're connecting with God and he paints a picture of his promises and he paints a picture of us. Sanctified imagination. 
the mind of Christ opens up and we see God. I think this is one of the reasons why He has not given us pictures of Himself in His physical form. One of the reasons why He doesn't want us. Because He's so much greater than we can ever expect. I've said it before, but I think that if I were to see God in His entirety, I would die, number one. He'd have to pick me up off the ground, number two. But we need to be connected with these promises. And the promises imbued with faith and the Holy Spirit unlock a vista of art, of beauty, of truth. Truths about ourselves. Truths about God. Truths about the world. Inspire missionary love. Inspire giving away things in an extravagant and crazy way that the world would say, you are nuts. And you say, no, I'm not. I've seen. I have tasted and I have seen. And the Lord is good. And He is worthy. He is the joy. He is the peace. He is the, ho- the God of hope. The hope of glory. It is here, gazing on His beauty, that our souls are filled up and the promises begin to flow. I'm telling you, after a while, it's no longer devotional reading. When I'm communing with Him, it's verses flowing, just flowing, bathed in the promises of God. And my heart begins to resonate. You know what I'm talking about? You guys should know what I'm talking about because we feel it. You know, um, David Crowder's got this song, and it still doesn't do it justice. It's called Can You Feel It? You know, and it's like this big, like, techno, like, song. It's awesome. There's, like, lights and action. You know, can you feel it? Can you feel it? You know, and he's, and and it's just, like, that sort of stuff. I mean, he's not, as beautiful as that song is, it's not anything in comparison. I don't care how much wattage we put on those instruments. It's not anything compared to prayer closet time with Christ. The earth fades away. The, the world begins to tremble. We see Him for who He is. We are bowed down before Him and our hearts begin to resonate with praise to God. And it becomes a life, not just something that we do. The Holy Spirit connects us to the Word of Promise through faith. It produces joy, peace, and abounding hope. And this is abounding hope, my friends. This is incredible. This is not just a little bit of hope. This is abounding hope. And it's cyclic. This is incredible, the way God has designed salvation. It's cyclic. What I mean by that is that you connect with the promise and you hear the promise. The Holy Spirit comes and connects your heart with the promise. Promise. Holy Spirit comes, connects your heart by faith with the promise. And the result is joy, peace, and hope. And what ends up happening is you're like, wow, that was really good. I want another one. And then you get another one. And then Holy Spirit connects. Joy, peace, and hope. And you're like, wow, that was really good. I want another one. And it just keeps going. And it is an addiction. And I've said this before. It is the only addiction. In fact, all of the other addictions that our hearts have are metaphors for this addiction. All of those other things that we pursue with our money and with our time and with our eyes and with our passion and with our, with our voices, all of those things, all of those things are skeletal structures that should be pointing towards the addiction of Christ. And this is the only addiction that we can have and not commit idolatry, my friends. And the other part about it is this addiction will never fail you. It will never come back and bite you. Or destroy you. Because some of our addictions will, won't they? Some of them destroy us. The things that we love come back and they consume us. 
until there is nothing left. And we wonder, how did I get there? How did I get there? This is an abounding hope. The God of hope, joy, and peace inspires abandoned trust. He, in, he inspires it by connecting us with His Word, by the Holy Spirit, through faith. What is the result? Well, I'm already given it. The result is praise. Look at Romans 15 again. It's a little bit in reverse, but the, the end game is there. Look at it. Look at verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. Why? Because He is faithful. Back in, in verse 8 it even says, To show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to us. And so we praise Him. The end result of a life that is filled by the God of hope with joy and peace is a life of praise. It is a life of praise. So I have to ask the question, during the week, when you get together here on Sundays, when you're with your small groups during the week or you're meeting for Bible studies, when you're alone, and temptation comes. When no one else is around, what radio station do you turn on? What music do you listen to on your iPod? What is, what is it that your heart is singing? What are you singing about? What is it that you talk about? What is it that's consuming you? When you're filled up with this kind of hope, the hope that Pastor Paul was talking about last week, you can't help but give praise to God. It just, it just like explodes out of you. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you have to be a singer. I'm not saying that you have to play music. I'm saying that God inspires a form of, of harmonic praise. The Holy Spirit does this. And it's incredible. Sometimes like um, when Ken plays the bass guitar, if I had him come up here and I didn't do anything with my, with my strings on my guitar, if I just said, go up there and just hit a string, you know, play a note, my guitar will begin to sing without a player. You know what I'm talking about? Other instruments do this too. It doesn't even need a player. And that's what ends up happening with the church. That is what revival looks like inside. God comes, walks among the people, connects the people with the hope of His promises, of who He is, of the beauty of all that He is. And our hearts begin to praise. And Ken begins to praise God. And he's like, and then the guitar over here goes, and then another one. And pretty soon you have like 10-part harmony going on. And everyone is praising God and singing glory to God in the highest. And praise be to God. He is a God who is faithful and who is sure and whose promises always last. Throughout the Bible, hope precipitates praise on the lips of God's followers. This is a joyous praise. When you come together in the congregation and we're singing songs, do you participate? Or are you like, oh, hold on, let me check my phone real quick. I got a Google Earth. Oh yeah, let me send a, let me do a little text message here. Are you texting Jesus? We've actually said that before with our, with our high school group. We're like, look, if you have a cell phone with you, it better be Jesus calling if you get it out. Or it better be him 
text messaging you something good. And if it is, you can share it with us. Otherwise, put it away. And, um, you know, are you on the fringe? Like, you know, here's the problem is that I can't connect people with the vision of God in there. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, you cannot do it. However, I'm going to be dedicated to just giving my all. Do you just give him your all? Do you just give him your all? Like, and even more, because the Holy Spirit actually can inspire more. Like, do you give him your all when you're worshiping? And I'm not talking about just singing now, right? I'm talking about a, a lifestyle of worship. Psalm, or Romans 15 actually says this. I'm going to sing praise. I'm going to sing your name. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to declare it from the rooftops. I'm going to declare that God is good and He has saved me from all of my sin. And not only that, but He is the Savior of all the earth to the very ends of the earth. His name is to be praised. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is the King of glory. He is the King of hope. Do you, does your heart sing that? Does it happen? Psalm 42, some of you might be struggling with joy because things are difficult. And Psalm 42 says this, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I will yet, I again will praise Him, my salvation. That's not Dr. Phil, like, if you're feeling bad, just get on a praise song and you'll be alright. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God is your Savior. He is your Savior. Praise Him. He is our hope. Psalm 71, But I will hope continually in the Lord and praise you yet more and more. And in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. I kind of think like it's sort of like a tank. I'm just going to drown myself in it. I'm just going to jump into the tank and the tank is the word of Christ. It is Him. It is He. He is one and the same. And I'm going to immerse myself in His promises. And whether my soul is downcast or whether I'm on the top of the mountain, I'm going to immerse myself in his promises and ask the Holy Spirit to come, like the, like the psalmist wrote, illumine my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do you apply this? Well, number one, if you're outside of Christ, the application is, I didn't like spend a lot of time on the gospel part of the cross of Christ, but if you're apart from Christ, come to him. He paid your death penalty. The wages of sin is death. He wants you to have an eternal hope and joy and peace. Come, come, come and feast at the table. No one has ever tasted of him or of God and said at the end and tasted in him in truth and said, you know what, I'm just really disappointed. This just wasn't what I... What, not, it's not always what you expect because some people have been sold a bill. Some people have been said, become a Christian and you'll have a better life. Oh no, that's not true. Sometimes it gets harder. Because now all of a sudden you have enemies that you didn't even know you had. Abandon yourself. But here's number one. Abandon yourself to the God of hope. I mean it. Let go. Don't diversify your portfolio. Alright? We're not talking about a mutual fund of gods. There is none. Actually, there are. There are lots of mutual funds. And there's, a lot of pan- there's a lot of preachers out there that are pandering a whole bunch of, diversify your gods, you know? A God of your own understanding. Do whatever. No. Don't diversify your 
your spiritual faith here. Abandon yourself totally to the God of hope. Abandon yourself to the mining of the promises of God from this book. Not the black and white. Not the black and white. Ask God to illumine you to the truth of these promises and make them real and to give you a sanctified imagination that you might see Him so you can see or sing. I want to see you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All the earth is filled with your glory. Ask God to illumine the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, abandon yourself. I just love that word. Abandon yourself to a life, not just a couple of minutes here on Sundays. Abandon yourself to a life of extravagant praise. That's the result of, of connecting with the God of hope. Praise. You can see it in Romans 15 and everywhere else in the Bible. Abandon yourself to a life of extravagant praise. And in closing, this is my last verse. First Peter 1 says, Though you have not seen him, I love this verse because every time Satan comes and he's like, whatever, your religion is bogus. It's fake. It's, it's, it's no good. It's not, it's not anything real. You know, it's, it's something that you've made up. Why are you spending your money on that? This, this is dumb. You know, why are you, why are you doing that? I hear these. I don't know if you hear this stuff, but I hear it. Sometimes I wake up, I'm tempted with doubts or whatever, and then this verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And I'm like, and I'm like, whoa, I actually do. I actually love this man, and I have never seen him. And, and, and he reminds me of this. Even though you have not seen me, your hope is a sure foundation. And you will not be disappointed Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith in the end, the salvation of your souls. Our God is a God of hope. So here it is. Charla actually emailed me this week about, um, we were chit-chatting a little bit about this weekend, just a couple of little words on email. And, and I said, my, my prayer for next week, as it is every day, is the same. And I've been singing this for a long time, so I'm going to share it with you, and then you guys can pick it up. And uh, some of you might have already been singing this verse already, um, singing it as a, as a verse of praise, but it's Ephesians 3.20, and it says this, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that I can ask or even think. And I'm telling you, I've been asking Him for a sanctified imagination to expand my imagination so that I can ask great things of Him. And His promises, whatever you can think of, I can one-up you. Actually, I can like a million times supersize your prayer request. And, I'm, and I know that my God is able. He is able to do that. So, let's put our hope in Him. Amen? Let's close in prayer. And we're going to sing together. Father, we just give you thanks. And we come to you with hearts full of praise, hearts full of hope, hearts full of life. Father, for those who are struggling today, some, some souls are, are down. Some are wondering, why am I suffering with this relationship difficulty that I'm having? I've been asking you, Father, to help me with it. Are you not the God of hope? Can you not help me? And you've been saying, wait, be patient. Some are hurting with physical difficulties. Some are hurting with um, 
relationships with work or other situations. And God, I'm asking now, would you come? This is not a, this is no this is no um, philosophical game that we're playing. You are the one true God, and you are very much alive. Come and inspire hope in the life of your people. Connect us with your promises in a way like we have never seen. Father, I don't want to be a people that's reminiscing about what you've done in the past. I want to be a person that's worshiping you for what you're doing right now. Right now. And so, God, we ask that you come and you do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or even think and loose your people to praise your name for all that you have done, for all that you are doing, and for all that is to come. You are our hope and we put our trust in you and we know that we will never be disappointed. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.